Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today, you've heard him on NPR. He's written a book about Superman called The Unauthorized Biography. But you're probably most familiar with him because of his arch nemesis, Chris Klimek, and their podcast about the prisoner, A Degree Absolute. It's Glenn Weldon, everybody. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Of course. Thank you for being had, as mm-hmm. they say. Because you're here to talk about... My Fair Lady. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. I think she's got it. I think she's got it. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Hi, George, she's got it. Hi, George, she's got it. Now, once again, where does it rain? On the plain, on the plain. And where's that soggy plain? In Spain, in Spain. Which I don't think you've done on the on the podcast before, correct? No, this is our third learner in low. We've done okay. Brigadoon, sure, and uh, Alexandra Petra. I came in with Camelot, but uh, we've never done uh, never done My Fair Lady, the the musical that you told me in an email uh, made you gay. So yep, how yep, did probably. My Fair Lady come into your life? Well, I mean, look, if we're talking favorite, it, my heart belongs to Little Shop, but you've done that several times. Mm-hmm. But My Fair Lady was seminal, and I don't mean that the dirty way. It, it, it helped shape me. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. My parents had the cast album. They weren't particularly musical people, per se, but they were teenager, teenagers in the 50s. Um, but uh, uh, God love them, they were more Pat Boone than Ooh. Elvis, right? Wow. I mean, so, yeah. like, yeah, two roads diverged in the wood, and they took the road more basic. They took the, uh, the... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and America's answer to Cliff Richard. Exactly. It's ex- that's exactly <laughs> the pull. Um, their collection really wasn't deep, uh, but they were kind of of a piece. They had a Jim Neighbors. They had a Tennessee Ernie Ford. They had Herb wow. Elpert and the Tijuana Brass. But not the dirty one. Not right? the dirty they one. Had... <laughs> they had Roger Miller, King of the Road. And they oh, had the soundtrack to Exodus, to two films, Exodus and Windjammer, a film I've never heard of, which is about a ship, apparently. Huh. They they had the Barbara Streisand Christmas album. That's the only Barbara Streisand they sure. had. Sure. You'd think that would have been what turned me gay, upset. But no, it was the two cast albums. One was Camelot. The other was My Fair Lady. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And when I got my own record player in the fifth grade, I played uh, two albums over and over again. Uh, Superman the movie uh, soundtrack. I, pre- ah. I, I would stand in my room and, and conduct it like I was a little... Fifth grade John Williams. Right. Um, I was off book on Can You Read My Mind <laughs> from the jump. Uh, that and and My Fair Lady. And here's here's a thing uh, that I'm just going to put out there. Um, I'm not proud of it, but it's part of me. I identified so strongly with Rex Harrison's Henry Higgins. And... That's sad because he's a dick, but uh, there's a rather tragic through line in my life uh, to fictional figures that I identify with. Um, you're Henry Higgins. You're, mm-hmm. you're Charles Emerson Winchesters. Oh. You're Fraser slash Niles Cranes and you're Sideshow Bobs. Uh, so <laughs> if you had to pull that thread. That is a hell of a Venn diagram. That, it's actually a circle, actually, because they're all, 
they're all pompous pseudo-intellectual pricks, right? They're all kind of stuffed shirts. Mm-hmm. And that's... Um, that was that's my wheelhouse, I guess. I don't but know. they're also they're also all really good at their job. Okay. I mean that's Sideshow Bob maybe notwithstanding. True. But sort of Oh the, Sideshow Bob is great at his job. Like right, I would watch the Sideshow Bob version of Krusty the Clown so yes. much more. Yes, than yes, I would yes. Watch yes. Oh yes, my young friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but like the, the defining characteristic for I mean Higgins is obviously the preeminent one of the two preeminent uh, in his field of, of, of linguists, the other being um, Pickering, who also comes to in, from India to meet him. Yep. But um, but Winchester in MASH, the thing that made him such a great departure for me from Frank Burns is that he was an excellent surgeon. Right. That's where his, his pomposity comes from a lot of places, but mainly it comes from his work. Mm-hmm. And so he's, a, he's excellent at his job. As he says, I do one thing at a time. I do it very well, and then I move on. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, and <laughs> so... So that's an interesting through line also, I think, among some of those, at least some of them, that they're they're perfectionists in their work as well as being sort of sad, pompous figures. Yeah, I, I think Niles is probably better at his job than Frazier is. Frazier is. is yeah, you know, that's yeah, true. I think that's the thing. But uh, have you ever, Patrick, seen the 1990 film Jeffrey? I have pulled that up since you mentioned My Fair Lady Turning okay. You Gay there because you of the go. record. Because, yes, that is a definitive scene in that movie so it, yes it's the scene you remember it's the only thing you really pull out of that because i mean that's like a b b minus rom-com right uh and it's a 1990 film starring steven weber as a gay man in new york who decides he's going to stop having sex because of aids or it's actually more he wants to not have a relationship because he'll fall in love and then he'll lose blah 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 blah. right but at one point he does go to a church he gets hit on by a priest played by nathan lane who is just making a meal out of oh that. my gosh! Oh, that scenery had no chance. Yeah, <laughs> none, none, not a chance. <laughs> and Je- Jeffrey is all like, "Why does God let bad things happen?" And Lane gets this incredible monologue where he says, "I'm going to tell you what your conception of God is," and he pulls out the original My Fair Lady cast album and points to the illustration on the cover. I think it's an Al Hirschfeld illustration. It is an Al Hirschfeld. Yes, uh, it's drawing uh, of George Bernard Shaw up in the clouds, and um, Paris Harrison's Henry Higgins and Julie Andrews. Let's do a little uh, b- below. He says, "Here's how you see God. He's a Columbia recording artist. You got your idea, God, where most gay kids get it. My Fair Lady, original cast. See, George Bernard Shaw up in the clouds, manipulating Rex Harrison and Julie Andrews on strings." It was your parents' album. You were little. You thought it was a picture of God. Yeah. Well, you were almost there because God is on this record. Learner and low. Why can't the English? Wouldn't it be lovely? I'm telling you, the only times I really feel the presence of God are when I'm having sex and during a great Broadway musical. I was... It was 1995 when I saw that movie. I had just come out at age 25. Uh, I hadn't expected to be kind of pole-axed by, by that description. <laughs> but, man, I spent so much time staring at that cast album and that illustration in particular. And, again, I was probably the only sixth grader in Westchester, Pennsylvania, who was off book on Why Can't mm-hmm. the English. But, um, but I wasn't real. Okay, that's the thing. I wasn't off book on Henry Higgins. I was off book on Rex Harrison's mm. Henry Higgins. His mm-hmm. intonation, his phrasing, his inflection. Uh, but, you know, th- this is a guy. I mean, I couldn't sing. I still can't sing. But And neither can he. But he, he makes a go of it, right? It's, it's, he does. He hits the notes without holding them. 
which is the secret right. to the, to that. And and yes. it, and he does have when we talk about the individual songs, he does have this kind of clarion brass instrument quality to his voice when he hits things like why can't the English like it just it's mm-hmm. it's so clear it's so clear and uh yeah that was so anyway that 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 scene uh it stops you it stops you dead in your tracks if you're a me <laughs> he does you know he gets a lot of guff for not singing uh and he certainly but he certainly sings more on this recording than he does in the movie yeah that's true in the movie he is really talk singing in how, rhythmic rhythmic speaking how yeah. much older is he in the Ooh, that's movie? a good question well the movie is well, eight years later okay I think. there you go yeah i mean yeah. it's 56 and the movie's what 64 mm-hmm. is that right so he's uh eight years yeah so that's that's what that's eight years oh my gosh i was right yep uh so he's um yeah so he's it's almost a decade older and actually a decade older having done this show on Broadway for a really long time, and then having then done it on the West End uh-huh. uh, for a very long time. So this was sort of his late career, you know, defining role. He was, let's see, he was 56 when the movie came out. Wow. Um, yeah. And, I mean, uh, I, I should know. say that, like, I went back just this last week. I have not listened to this cast album in decades, so I went back oh, and yeah. listened, listened this week to refresh my memory, and it started, and I felt... Weird. It felt off to me slightly, just vaguely unsatisfying. Hmm. On the surface, it's, it's exactly as I remembered, but uh, but as I kept going on, and this was most notable during the during the Harrison numbers, which are my favorite numbers in the show. He was, I thought he was making different phrasings than I had kind of internalized because this album was written on my soul as because mm-hmm. I just listened to it so often. Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? This verbal class distinction by now should be antique. If you spoke as she does, sir, instead of the way you do, why, you might be in selling flowers, too. I beg your pardon, sir. And and then I looked at the cover, and it was exactly the same one, the same illustration, the same font, everything. And it said original Broadway cast. And I was like, okay, so this is the same album. And it wasn't a reissue. It wasn't like an encore mm-hmm. performance or a command performance or anything. But it was a different color than I remember. Yeah. And oh. then I did a search. Yeah. And I found that what I had thought for... Going on 40 years was the original uh, Broadway cast was, in fact, the original London cast. Yes. And so and so I just, you know, I found that on Spotify Mm -hmm. and I and as soon as soon as I hit play, I can't tell you the visceral satisfaction. It's kind of muscle memory that just came back. Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? This verbal class distinction by now should be antique. If you spoke as she does, sir, instead of the way you do, why, you might be selling flowers too. I beg your pardon, sir. An Englishman's way of speaking absolutely classifies him. The moment he talks, he makes some other Englishman despise him. One common language I'm afraid we'll never get. Oh, why can't the English learn to set a good example to people whose English is painful to your ears? The Scotch and the Irish leave you close to tears. There even are places where English completely disappears. Well, in America, they haven't used it for years. It's amazing that... Andrews and Harrison both had kind of settled in and were playing mm-hmm. a little bit more. If you compare mm-hmm. the two, they are practiced and they're having maybe a bit more fun uh, because they're just, they're, it's like they're 
put their toe in their in their shoe and they're just kind of wiggling their toes. Uh, the dude playing Pickering, though, was uh, unchanged. <laughs> he was. What he played. <laughs> he was. It's like hitting play on a record or like on a record. Yeah. He's just like, chikunk. He does exactly the same thing. I beg your pardon. So with exactly, yeah, exactly. the same phrasing. And Robert Coote is that actor's name. Yeah. Who I only know because, the, you know, they have those great on Wikipedia, the chart of like who played who, when, and which famous production and all that. He is the only, he played Pickering in Broadway and West End, just like Harrison and Andrews did. But then he also played Pickering in the 76 revival on Broadway. Oh, boy. You'd think he'd get... He'd want to be promoted, you know. I mean, he's not a name, but you think, you know, I'll play a different part. No, he played. He played Pickering a lot. Yeah, and I get the impression he played it that way. Uh huh. A lot, and you but know. But in the movie, it was Wilfred Hyde White, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 I wonder why. Well, he, <laughs> you well, don't. You need. You need a big name like Wilfred no, Hyde White. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, when you need, yeah, and the movie cast is great, even though most of them aren't doing their own. I mean, no one's doing their own singing, I guess, because Rex Harrison isn't yeah. singing. I guess yeah. Stanley Holloway does his own singing. Oh, sure. Um, and you have the inimitable Marnie Nixon dubbing, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. dubbing Audrey Hepburn. Yep. <laughs> and Sherlock Holmes is Jeremy Brett, which is a, a yeah, fun, that's right. fun one in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, yes, so that's, the funny fact about this record, this, this show is that the, the Broadway cast album was a huge hit and big number one in the billboard charts for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. But Playbill, not too long ago, published a list of the top, I think, 50 best-selling cast albums of all time. Mm-hmm. And the one that was on the list for My Fair Lady, the number, like, 12, is the London cast recording. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, mm-hmm. that one sold more units. Hey everybody, just dropping in here to say that after Glenn and I uh, finished our conversation, I went back and read the Playbill article again that uh, Logan Caldwell Block wrote on the best-selling cast albums of all time, which you can find a link to in the show notes. And Logan, because he's Logan, explained that the reason the London cast uh, sold more units than the Broadway version is that the Broadway version was recorded in mono. And the London version was recorded in stereo, which was still relatively new at the time and therefore was pushed more uh, by the record company and sold more units uh, overall than the Broadway cast album, even though the Broadway cast album was on the Billboard charts for longer. So that is why the London recording is the one you will generally find uh, instead of the Broadway one. The London one, again, has the kind of brownish cover and the Broadway one has the white cover. And I think you're right. I think it has a slight... That's also the one I had. When I did My Fair Lady in high school, uh, that was the cast album that my parents got me to get ready for the for the show. So mm-hmm. that's the one I'm familiar with as well. Right. And it it has a little more whimsy, I think, to it, and a little more sense of fun than the Broadway one does. Yeah, I think Harrison especially is playing with where the line sits in the... In the um line i guess mm-hmm. like where the words sit in the line mm-hmm. uh just a little bit more he's sometimes pulling back he's sometimes really delaying it and letting the the orchestration get ahead of him and then kind of rushing to finish it up it's just it's when you've been doing something a kajillion times you are trying mm-hmm. to make it interesting for yourself while sticking to the thing i, th- I also think they just knew these characters inside and out by that point oh yeah absolutely i mean I you can kind of hear it on and i just you know when why can't the english starts and there's that fanfare that kind of you know uh, let loose the hounds right that mm-hmm. kind of like the games of foot kind of <laughs> of it all it's just sure. it's so stirring and there is so much character 
infused into that song. He's he's not just showing off, although he is doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really just bitching. He's just complaining. He's just yes. despairing that no one is on his level. No one understands the problem that he is identifying. <laughs> and there's a real gusto to his delivery. There's relish. There's, you know, and... Uh, my one of my favorite moments in that song is when Pickering says, "Oh, come, so I think you picked a poor example," and he right. hits. Did I? There, you can hear the sneer. You can hear it. <laughs> it's it's. He's having such fun, and then when he say when he says in America they haven't used it for years, and he launches oh, back in. Why? It's that's the yeah. trumpet sound. That's like the it's. He is he's going for it, and you know there's some really chewy lyrics in there, like. Here are Yorkshiremen are worse. Here two Cornishmen converse. I mean, that's just that's. Oh what is, yeah, what are you and this is Alan J. Lerner having his best time, I think, in the, in this that song. But this show, especially, he has wonderful turns of phrase, internal rhyming, jumping around. He's having so much fun with this character who can talk. I mean, right. who really, really can talk, and it. He really, obviously, just adores uh, letting him, letting him do it. Even though, I mean, I love that song, but he is God. He's a snob. I mean, yeah. just my yeah. yep. God, he's yep. a snob. Yep. It is the like, it's just, it, it's incredible. The more I think about it, the more of like how it's not even unlikable. He's just a snob. Like he's not likable or unlikable. He's just he's Ooh. our he's our hero, and he's a snob, and that's kind of his deal. And it's good because it, we're gonna watch as the show goes on this snobbish veneer get torn at uh-huh. and and pulled and and beaten and and destroyed through its own pomposity which is always the way you want to see a snob torn apart is by their own their own doing and if you didn't have pickering there as his elderly boy wonder um there could be no <laughs> empathy for this guy because he is just so off-putting mm-hmm. and pickering is there to be sympathetic but also he is you know, objectifying Eliza just as much as as uh, Henry's doing. Like, oh he, gosh, he, yeah. he is using her in exactly the same way. He's just nicer about it, which makes yeah. him almost more sinister. More, uh, there's more going on with him. Well, and his last line, Pickering's last line in the show, is always just like when he when they're all they can't when Eliza's gone missing and they're going to try mm-hmm. to find her, and Mrs. Pierce says. Oh, Mr. Higgins will miss her so much. And he says, blast Higgins. I'll miss her. And walks out the door. And you're like, oh, yeah. what, is that ex- what exactly does that mean? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm, sure he hit it. Pickering? I'm sure he hit it exactly the same way every night. Oh, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Man, hit his with like a metronome. He had those marks. He had those he marks. Had uh, and again, beg your pardon, so. uh, one of my favorite things about this is the way uh, Rex Harrison is an R triller. Uh, just like a, a certain mm-hmm. a certain Patrick Magoon, so Arabians learn Arabian with the speed of summer yes. lightning, and the Hebrews learn it backwards, which is absolutely, absolutely frightening. frightening. <laughs> and the the absolutely is is hit, and then there's a little <laughs> bing. It's yeah. it's it's such a great song to situate us in. Okay, this guy's a dick. He knows a lot. We're going to be getting a lot of language stuff in this thing, mm-hmm. and, and then when we go to Wouldn't It Be Lovely, um, you know that is the first. I want song I guess I'd ever really listened to um, mm-hmm. it is kind of a quintessential I want song because she's just sitting she there says. all I want is a room somewhere far away from the cold night air with one enormous chair wouldn't it be lovely lots of chocolate for me to eat 
I'm not as much a fan of the, of the kind of slower ballads. Uh, they're perfectly lovely melodies, uh, but it's the kind of, um, it's Harrison's sort of verbal pyrotechnics that I kind of really get on. Well, and there. it's the thing that I think as I go through their Lerner and Lowe's work, like shows like Brigadoon, I find just interminably boring because mm-hmm. it is a lot of that. Yeah. And there's some beautiful melodies and songs in Brigadoon, but it is a slog of slow, meaningful, mournful ballads. I and, couldn't name besides the you know uh, the main one, <laughs> the, right? The which one. I can't. I was trying to think of as well, <laughs> and I'm coming up short. Yeah. Uh, but it. So yeah. Aside from the hit that neither of us can think of the name of the yeah. moment. What a day this has been! What a rare mood I'm in! Why it's Almost like being in love. Um, it is just kind of a wash, that score, to me. Camelot is a little more. There's, a, there's some longing ballads, and, you know, Could I Leave You? and Not Could I Leave You, that's time. It's a Would I Leave You. Uh-huh. Um, and, but there's, you know, songs like C'est Moi and the fun, you know, like bouncy stuff. But this is a great balance of, of fun, silly musical comedy songs and one or two lovely little i mean even songs like i could have danced all night which is you know is funny has that great counterpoint between the servants of like mm-hmm. trying to get her to go to bed and it's pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. it has the good I, I will say i haven't listened to this in 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 many 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 years either and because i did it in high school and i have the kind of memory where that means like every beat in this show is burned into my spine mm-hmm. um but throwing it on again to listen to it to talk to you it was refreshing it yeah. was like a it was like a really cold drink on a hot day uh-huh. and i i found i have always been one who in my sort of dramaturgical snobbiness have espoused that pygmalion is better than my fair lady in the sense of the way it tells the story huh. i think that pygmalion and it certainly has a better ending yeah. i will defend that till the end of time mm-hmm. but listening to the score I was reminded that now that, that that's this is a really really good musical. Like this is really good. Hot and take. Hot take. Yeah. Hot take. Hot take. Coming in fresh. Off the, it is. It is so much. We, we we there there are things issues with it. Uh, uh, it's very much of its time and and needs to be handled in a way that addresses those problems while letting the quality of it shine. But it is really like, – there's a reason people keep wanting to do it and play those parts. Mm-hmm. It is a very, very well-written show. And right. that kind of took me off guard, which is just because I hadn't really given it a serious thought since I was you know, 14 years old, probably. Right. And the, the next song, With a Little Bit of Luck. The Lord above gave man an arm of iron so he could do his job and never shirk. The Lord above gave man an arm of iron, but with a little bit of luck, with a little bit of luck, someone else will do the blinking work. With a little bit, with a little bit, with a little bit of luck, you'll never work. 
you get the right guy in that part and you win your audience over immediately. They are going to Oh, well, be, thank you very much. They I, are going to Oh, yes. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. even know. Didn't even know. <laughs> yep. But one of the great one of the great 14-year-old Doolittles. <laughs> well, you know, you could see it in your eyes. You're world yeah, weary. Yeah, the twinkle, right? Yeah, yeah. the twinkle. See, right. I I kind of always an Irishman. I kind of always hated that that character because I was a rule follower as a kid. I was a goody two shoes, mm-hmm. and I just didn't. Ah. I didn't approve of this, and it was like, well, we shouldn't be glorifying this. I, 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 I would, I would say to myself in my darkened bedroom, well, this is this just seems irresponsible. Is, right. What a w- wild human being. But I can tell, like the charm is. I mean, of course, uh, Stanley Holloway is great, but I mean, oh, the yeah. charm is encoded into the lyrics, into the wordplay, into. Uh, it, it, it too. Although, um, he's he he is a dick to Eliza, and he is. It's how did you make him charming? Because he is such a dick to Eliza. I I do I well I, I don't know. For at fourteen, I don't think I was digging that deep into the character. I was just going for as many laughs as I could possibly get within yep. the, in the twenty five minutes I was on stage or whatever. And, and they're factory installed. Those laughs. They know? are. They absolutely are. And they are. I mean, the it is one of those. I had a teacher in uh, in college once who said there are certain roles that if you just say all the words and don't bump into the furniture, you'll get nominated for an award. Like, it's just, <laughs> they're bulletproof. And Doolittle, to me, is a bulletproof role. Like, right. you can, it's really hard to mess him up. It's, it's, it's also hard to do him tremendously well, as most bulletproof roles are. They're kind of, mm-hmm. they're hard, they're kind of set in amber a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he is just fun. And he's fun in a show of, full of people who are not intentionally fun. You know, Higgins and Pickering and Eliza are fun, but they don't mean, to, like, they're having a terrible time with each other. Yeah, they're yeah. not having fun. We're having fun watching them not have fun. Uh-huh. But he is just out there living his life, live, doing his best self, living moment to moment. And then, of course, it all comes crashing down on him when someone... Because I love the fact thing about Doolittle that he predicts his own downfall. Again, uh-huh. I mean, that's the Shaw of it all. Uh-huh. But when uh-huh. he doesn't want... He, he doesn't want too much money. When Higgins is going to write him a check, he's just like, no, 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 no. Don't give me that much. That's too much. If you give me that much, I'll have to, like, be a gentleman. Just uh-huh. give me enough to get two or three pints, and I'll be fi- I'll make the rest of it work. Right. And then Higgins accidentally endows him with a tremendous <laughs> – with an endowment from uh-huh. this guy in America, and he ruins his life, basically. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's uh, – uh, wonderful. And, uh, yeah, and, and Holloway's just uh, – yeah, he'd been around for – so oh, long man. tromping the boards, and he finally lucked into this. I mean, yeah, people knew him in, in Britain, but wow, he just became a, a household name uh, oh, based gosh, on yeah. that. I can't imagine the number of times he must have done it on, like, Jack Parr or The Tonight oh, man, Show yeah. or, or Ed Sullivan or whatever the hell. Um, <laughs> so this is – next up is I'm an Ordinary Man, and mm-hmm. I think Harrison gets, like, six songs that are kind of his in this show. Two of them now read as incel anthems. <laughs> But let a woman in your life, and your serenity is through. She'll redecorate your home from the cellar to the dome, then go on to be enthralling fun of overhauling you. Let a woman in your life, and you're up against a wall. Make a plan and you will find she has something else in mind, and so rather than do either, you do something else that neither likes at all. You want to talk of Keats or Milton, she only wants to talk of love. You go to see a play or ballet and spend it searching for her glove. Let a woman in your life and you invite eternal strife. 
Let them buy their wedding bands for those anxious little hands. I'd be equally as willing for a dentist to be drilling than to ever let a woman in my life. Yes, there's there's a there's a little bit of gay panic to it, but like it's <laughs> just he. He, you couldn't get away with this now because it's it's just pure dripping misogyny that isn't really winked at to the extent I mean I think in him to him it's really really winked at it's like he's underlined yeah, like yes. yes why can't a woman be more like you like that but here I mean he's still relishing it right he's still enjoying the hell out of this delusion that he's just Joe Sixpack, right? <laughs> right. And totally. He's and it, we learn in this that it's kind of important to him that he be seen as just uh, quiet, yes, you know, so, um, humble, very gentle man. And then you know mm-hmm. he ex- he punctuates it with things like "but" and and everything yes. goes goes to hell. It's the just tempo goes crazy. Yeah. Tempo goes crazy, and it, you've got this uh, sort of like I mean, literally, it goes to hell. It's got that kind of like descent to, into the maelstrom. Uh, effect and the details in this song are so strangely specific. This random woman will have a large Wagnerian mother, mother right. <laughs> which is like, where'd that come from? And then, then right. you see that Alan J. Lerner was married eight times, and you go, oh, okay. Yes, so yes, I see yes, where some yes. of this mm-hmm. misogyny yes, might maybe, be maybe, coming yeah. from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Alan J. Lerner. Alan J. Lerner. <laughs> so many Oscars and so little work. Yeah, and then it kind of uh, apparently died, not penniless, but not not well yeah. off because not, yeah, well, not because, but well, like you know, I well, mean, you didn't, wasn't wise with his money. We'll just wasn't it, wise with his wasn't money. wise with his money. So when you were, you know, yourself in the dark conducting this the, these shows and or play actually for this, you say you were playing Rex Harrison. Uh-huh. How did you find that? Did you find you were you you were Rex Harrison in the world, and so having this show to listen to and to absorb sort of let you know you were not alone, or was it just you found like this was fun to listen to because you agreed with this character in a, in a sort of basic way? Oh, not not so much the not so much the latter, definitely the former. But you know, I was yeah. a closeted uh, kid. This was suburban Philadelphia. This was Westchester, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. This was you listened to MMR, you listened to YSP. Or you were a fag, and uh, mm. so you you had to like the idea of uh, show tunes of any kind. I mean, it was just as suspect as Michael Jackson. It was just as suspect as Duran Duran, because uh, there is there is this really stunted, um, uh, very small idea of masculinity that fourteen year old boys in suburban Philadelphia had. Maybe they've mm-hmm. maybe they've evolved. I don't think they have. But they had a little bit by the nineties, well, but, uh, but not yeah. not that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly not in Catholic school. No, I can only imagine. Right. So yeah, yeah but I I just thought it was fun, and I I loved the bravura of this performance um the mm. and and similarly like this this actually ties into the next one which is just you wait if wouldn't it be loverly is a very pretty tune but it's kind of a snooze this mm. is a bop because of the energy embedded in the lyrics the rage the you know um it 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 gives liza some agency and it's it's the one i keep going back to not only because of like you know fun things your, uh, you know, Henry Iggins Ed, although that is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love how you can see Eliza is has had a couple lessons, a few lessons with 
uh, Pickering and, and Higgins. And so she, when she tries to be posh in this song, I'll go to St. James so often I will call it St. Jim, she's mm-hmm. not getting it yet. She doesn't have yeah. the ear yet. She's reaching for it. And uh, it, it is a really good way to kind of see where she is in this, in this, where, how she's positioned uh, in, in this show right now because she is, she's gotten a glimpse of what life could be like but she has to go through this kind of troglodyte <laughs> to get there and 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 naturally she feels the the rage if she didn't if she was just a uh a spineless you know toady like we'd we'd fall instantly out of love with her well and just like him to him, or ordinary man her she goes way too far in her sort of thing she's going to do to henry higgins Ooh, henry. Just you wait until we're swimming in the sea. Ooh, Henry Higgins. And you get a cramp, a little why from me. When you yell you're going to drown, I'll get dressed and go to town. Oh, oh, oh Henry Higgins. Oh, 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 Henry Higgins. Just you wait. There's, a, there's something under there. That's kind yeah. of cooking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. from her dad and stuff, you see, like, kind of maybe where it's all been coming from all these years. That's but true. But it's a nice parallel between the two characters who will eventually have to end up with each other that there's there's similarities in the way they were, like, their outrageousness is very is very complimented. And we're going to see in, at the, in the, the last few songs of the show another kind of where these two songs mm. talk to each other in a very a very important way to kind of put them on a level playing field because otherwise the the power dynamic would just make this <laughs> it's still problematic don't get me wrong yes. oh yes but there's a very smart juxtaposition between these two songs that kind of undercuts it the next come up is rain in spain what can you say about this this is like the musical theater equivalent of uh universal background radiation it's inescapable it's everywhere it's just it's you can't and <laughs> it i is. i can't listen to it <laughs> Without just picking out, like you can't. I can't pick out anything for it because it's all of a piece. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. so. It's so that thing. It's the thing that everybody. It's when, when you say my fair lady, that's what people talk about. They don't talk about loverly. They don't talk about. Well, they right. grow accustomed to her face a little bit, but like this is the thing that uh, epitomizes that uh, is the is the emblem of this show. Yes. and I like it a lot. But you know, yeah. I, I, I can't. I can't listen to. It. Well, if you if you heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times. Like yeah. it's not there's there's nothing new to. And every time I've seen it staged, it's staged almost exactly the same way every single time. Oh, the bull! Yeah, yes. the well, bull. That's, that's in the script. Like there's, yeah, just nothing, yeah, yeah. there's nothing you can do with it. Like it's just sort of it is. It's like day by day from Godspell. Yeah, like, right. What do you eventually you have to come into the audience because the song's got two minutes left and we have there's very, there's no other words. We're, we're all out of words. Well, so that's that's exactly what I want. That's exactly I want. I want Jesus. <laughs> I want hippies. I want Jesus hippies to assault me. That's that's yes. what I want from theater. That's Ugh. why I paid a hundred dollars for this ticket. Oh my god. <laughs> but then we get into I could have danced all night and mm-hmm. we, it does because this scene goes on for quite a while. It's a funny little sequence going from the servants chorus. The poor Professor Higgins to Rain in Spain to I could have danced all night. It goes on for quite a while. Like there's a long chunk of time that this mm-hmm. show covers with these of these three songs and and her. I do <laughs> and the, the nice show conceit that once her voice clicks, it's clicked. <laughs> it yep. never unclicks. She sings yep. and now Julie Andrews gets to sing. I could have I could have danced all night. <laughs> yes, and, uh, it's very important. Full Mary Poppins. 
It's very danced. It's very important yeah. that it's danced. And <laughs> my favorite thing is exactly the thing you pointed out earlier, which is the counterpoint provided by the maid chorus, the staccato, mm-hmm. the little... The, the yes. main melody is, is lovely, but it's that little staccato that takes it to the next level. They're like little... Like the... the the song is a room, and yet they're little mice along the floorboards. Yeah, they're you know, like in Cinderella. Skidding. They're just, exactly know, they're just... Her, trying to get her undressed and into yeah. bed. <laughs> it's so much go. fun. I could have danced all night. I could have danced all night. And still have begged for I could have spread my wings and done a thousand things. I'll never know what made it so exciting. Why all at once my heart took flight. I when he began to dance with me, I could have danced, danced, danced all night. dear, it's all been grand, dear, but now it's time to sleep. And it's got a lot of heavy lifting to do that song because we have to believe that she's fallen in love with this dick. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and... It, it it's without that the second act doesn't work without that a lot of what we're going to about to go into doesn't work right the song that i've been listening to the most since uh since since coming back to it a week ago is the next one askat gavat uh, really i love this ah. song i love their performance of this song i love the ensemble because of the way they are chewing the bloody hell through these pronunciations I, just, I I love it. It's 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 two Yanks <laughs> making fun of the Brits, uh-huh. uh, making fun of the aristocracy, uh, and when you get to the the way the word uh, the first syllable of opening kind of stretches out for for day, Ascot opening day. Oh God, I could just <laughs> I just love everything about it. Love it, and you know. There is a visual joke to the song where, they, uh, where the horses go by and they remain perfectly still and then they say, thrilling, smashing, wonderful. It's yes. just, it's it's low-hanging fruit. I'm not going to say it it's is. not. It is. But, oh, it's so much fun. It's and good. I, it re- reminded me on this listening of, uh, I don't know if you're fam- how familiar you are with Super Ego, but with sure. uh, Matt Gorley's M. 
Uh, how British know. am I? How British am I? How yes. British? On a scale Bond. of H to Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bond, you made me so happy. So happy. Yes, very familiar. <laughs> Deeply familiar. One of the interesting things about Ascot Gavat for me is uh-huh. the is that you find out that how much Henry doesn't belong anywhere. Uh-huh. That true. he doesn't. You know, it's not only that he despises the. It, it's not it's it, the lower classes because of the way they speak or any of that. That is certainly part of his 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 life. But then he goes to a place full of people who couldn't talk better if they mm-hmm. tried, mm-hmm. and he's not dressed appropriately. Mm-hmm. And he his mother is there and who says Henry, how disappointing, which is such a lovely <laughs> first line for anyone. Um, and she hates that he's there, and he doesn't like being there. He is not interested in these people. He doesn't like what they're selling and he's not buying anyway and Mm -hmm. he just sort of throws Eliza in the middle of it she makes a a, you know big mess a big fool of herself and scandalizes everyone he just thinks it's hilarious Mm -hmm. from top to bottom what she's done Mm -hmm. and it is it's he's he's really antisocial is our Henry Higgins like in a really and it's a good scene to let you know oh it's he's he doesn't belong in any place. Nobody likes him. He's no good. He's like Sherlock Holmes that way. He doesn't fit in anywhere he goes, but he just has a very nice accent. Yes, he does have a very nice accent and he can talk sing. But like I, this is one of the reasons I think I identify with him is because like, mm. yeah, that scene is intended to make us uh, feel some empathy for him because he is eccentric. He is, he doesn't mm-hmm. fit in and he is importantly not hung up about it. Doesn't yes. care. It, right. Like it's his terms. Um, you know, he's he's. It's it's not. You I can't. You can't even call it privilege. What he has. It's it's something. <laughs> it's like six steps beyond privilege. But <laughs> but that notion. I think what I really admired about the guy is that like, yeah, he doesn't like he doesn't fit in at the at the flower market. He doesn't fit in at Ascot. Uh, yeah, he he's 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 doing his own thing. And he doesn't yep. care. He doesn't Does care. Doesn't care. Does it's a lack of issue. It's not an issue. It's a great thing. And now we come to a song I hate. Uh, a song oh, I abs- really? absolutely hate. Absolutely hate. Hate. That is yeah. a strong word, and you haven't used it yet. Yeah. yeah. Hate on the street where you live. And all oh, the towering feeling just to know somehow you are near the overpowering feeling. At any second you may suddenly appear People stop and stare, they don't bother me For there's nowhere else on earth that I would rather be Let the time go by, I won't care if I can be here on the street stops everything dead in its tracks right it's just this ballad and it's and it's sung in this very old school almost operetta i guess it's just og mm-hmm. oh it's very operetta yeah and, yeah it's it's like gilbert and sullivan all of a sudden it, in, in, in wandering minstrel eye like it, for truly for, truly yeah. and when we get to show me it has a counterpoint where eliza comes mm-hmm. in and says get rid of all this this is this and i feel exactly the same way i want eliza to come in and say could you stop now a little backstory here uh 
my mom worked at the high school that I attended. I, I don't recommend that as a as a life plan. Um, <laughs> so any kids out there, out there considering it? If anybody considering it, don't do that. You heard it here um, first. And and uh, you know, for every every day of all those four years, she loved that school, and I did not. And she was trying mm. everything she could do to get me to. Uh, have 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 school spirit kind of manifest on me like a rash or something. I don't know. She was like, go out for a sport or you know, join the marching band, join a club. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we drive together to school in the mornings, yes, we drove together. Don't make a big thing of it. I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not on trial here. Um, I'd I'd be essentially lip syncing uh, to every song on My Fair Lady, uh, and I didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a thing I did until the spring. Until the spring of my freshman year, when my school did My Fair Lady. Uh-huh. And she was like, come on. <laughs> you have to try it out. Yeah, try it. Yeah. Right. You, you know this thing backwards and forwards. But that flew in the face of my core belief. My entire organizing principle in high school was, to, uh, was how much energy I was devoting to being invisible. To getting through mm. it. To making mm-hmm. no ripples. I mean, I also... You know, not for nothing. I knew I can't act. I can't sing. I can't dance. That that was that was a big factor in it. But <laughs> my my introversion was just at its apex at that mm-hmm. point. And sure. you know, and and by the way, you know, when actors say, "Oh, I'm 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 really an introvert," I'm like, "Well, then you didn't read the manual because that's not what you're doing there. It's not <laughs> it's not what introverts do." And they all like, "Oh, but I'm playing a character. I can hide in. It's not really me." And I'm like, "You are insane. You are putting yourself out there, and people are pointing at you. It's you, dude. It's I don't know what you're thinking." So yeah, I I I, I don't get that. But um, <laughs> we fought and fought and fought, and I won. I didn't I didn't go I mm-hmm. didn't. Well, ultimately, you would have to go audition, so you have the final like, nope, not doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the thing. And I, I was, I, I'm, I'm still glad to this day I didn't do it. I just don't think I'm cut out for that. And I, I know, I know, I would suck. Also, Mm. I wouldn't enjoy it at all. I would feel so self conscious. I'd be paralyzed with self consciousness. Now, I did go to see it. However, oh sure. And it was, you know, of course it was, like, in our school, it was the popular kids who did pretty much everything. They did the sports, they did the, the committees, and they did the, the theater. It wasn't, like, theater, wacky theater nerds, like, weird weird theater mm-hmm. kids. It was all the popular, well-scrubbed, you know, lantern-jawed kids. Um, same kids who did the Music Man. Like the, it was always the same mm-hmm. group. Yeah. And it was terrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, the accents were all over. Like, oh, well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and the band was off, and the kid playing Alfred E. Doolittle was a huge hit because, again, hardwired into it. It's his, hard. It, I'm telling you. But he, he was he was, he was phoned it in compared to, sure. <laughs> compared to <laughs> Holloway. There's no uh, animus to his character. He hadn't really thought about He know, hadn't is, lived. He was, what he is was, a London dis- dustman? You know, what is that like? <laughs> right. What is that? What is that experience? And it was like a kid who had like, been drunk on Jaeger, but he hadn't been like, you know. Sure, right. <laughs> had, yes, had, he's like, been a very good drunk. But he yeah, had, yeah. <laughs> but the kid who played Freddie Patrick, uh, he totally, totally beefed it. It, it is it is a tough song. It's got a big it range. Is. It is a tough song. But you That's don't a tenor, real tenor song. Real yeah. tenor song. And you don't want to pair a song that is that difficult with so many sudden high notes with puberty. Because No, no. His voice uh cracked like from like from the second bar. Like but the pavement always stayed before as soon as he was like, um uh but the pavement always stayed beneath my pe- feet before. Mm-hmm. When he was there. Everything yeah. was fine. It was fine. Yeah, yeah. But, but as now soon as you've he... got a 
but jump the octave. Yeah. As soon as it all at once, and crack, just mm-hmm. like in, into a thousand pieces, and and the the pavement, um, yeah, shattered beneath, shattered beneath him, and the crowd. <laughs> And that's even before, like, he's got, uh, you know, once, am I? And then there's something right, else yeah, at the end. There's a lot to go, towering like, feeling. And, oh, yeah, that's, oh, and so the, much. the crowd was, at first, still. Like, <laughs> like, you can't believe this is happening, aghast. You could notice that he was flailing. He knew it. You could see right. the terror in his eyes and the flop sweat because this was, he hadn't finished the first verse. <laughs> right. Song's three and a half minutes long. Three and a half minutes long. And of course, (laughs) what's going to happen in an audience full of snot-nosed punks who have no empathy because their brains are tiny, they started giggling. And it got louder and louder. And the more that the teachers and the parents were shh, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Until he was cracking on the low notes, too. Uh, It was awful. Unforgettable. It's and so I mean I again this is I didn't need reinforcement yeah you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have uh, you shouldn't have right. <laughs> but oh, anyway it's a cheesy That's song hard. it's a flowery song it's intended to be it's intended to be an extension of Freddie's kind of childish romantic notions I get that yes. but whoosh, boy I just don't it's such a slog for me yeah it also has the worst lead-in line to a song in this show where the because he runs into the cop. If I'm not mistaken, right before uh-huh. the song, and the cop's like, "What are you doing here?" or something. Ask, he asks, "Who lives here?" and the cop tells him, and then he, cops like leaves. And right before, for some reason, the response to whatever the cop sign is, is he goes, "It's okay. I want to drink in the street where she lives." And I'm just like, yeah. anybody would be like, "Well, you're under arrest. I'm terribly <laughs> That's sorry. Right. That's exactly. <laughs> Frightfully sorry, old boy. Afraid you'll have to come with me then." <laughs> <laughs> yes, we haven't invented stalking, but. <laughs> We're about to. Excuse me, are you a peer? Well, then you don't have to come with me, so I'm yep. terribly sorry. Right. Yep, yep, yep. This is what we call protective custody. And uh, <laughs> right. until, you're, until you go go up to Oxford or wherever, you're coming with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's what the dude does to Joanna and Sweeney Todd. It's the same deal. And it's like, nope, it is. still creepy. Nope. Still creepy. Still super creepy. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But And both of those, I mean, both of them get their, their sort of comeuppance a little <laughs> from their romantic... In- intake mm-hmm. uh eventually of course but yes, we have yes, yeah. this is a funny show for for me especially of its period because structurally one of the weird things about it to me is that it does not have an act one or act two finale hmm. in the it's traditional true. musical sense right. there is no wells fargo wagon mm-hmm. in this show it they go to the ball there's some mm-hmm. dialogue there's a lot of music I mean, it's a big you know the the ball music plays and then she runs into Zoltan Karpathy. Uh, <laughs> that dreadful greatest, Hungarian. Greatest character name in yep. this show. Yep. And they go off to talk, which is the big thing we've all been nervous about. And then that's the end of Act One. It uh-huh. is just, And then the curtain comes down. And it's, it's just so, yeah, it's, it's such a shocking little moment. And then to repeat it in Act Two, basically, when we have, you know, he has his big song. But then we have a, a book scene. To end the show. It does not have a, a, a musical moment. Are you ready, Patrick, for my hot Ooh. My Fair Lady take? Ooh. My hot sure. dramaturgical take. Yes. Okay. 50, 60 some years in the making. Here it is. <laughs> Whenever the show came out. Do not show us the ball. We don't need to see oh, the ball. Take sure. it out. Take sure. it out. Sure. Because you are only going to recap it beat for beat in song. In, at the top of Act 2, yes. At the top of Act 2, <laughs> so don't 
bother. We just saw everything you're singing about happen slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't very don't, slowly. Don't oh, man, bother. It eats time. Like I, I didn't realize how long it went in the movie, but that is just like that's like twenty minutes of screen time of yeah. just people curtsying and. And and then you get exactly that. And what matters, what matters is how these characters feel about what happened, not what happened, right? Right. And the song is them expressing it. The song is their delight. They won. I think you shave, shave that off. <laughs> Have, what would it be? It would be, uh, I guess Straight Where You Live would be a lousy song to close act one on. Well, you close on the scene. I mean, if you're going to do it anyway, if you're not going to yeah. have a, a closing number, you, you close on the great, I mean, and it's again, straight out of Shaw, the, the scene of of Pickering, you know, drinking several glasses of port because he's terrified. Mm-hmm. And Higgins acting very like, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. No big deal. And then after everyone has, Eliza comes in in her dress and they're all stunned by how beautiful she looks. And they walk out and he turns, Higgins does, after everyone's left and downs a glass of port and then goes out. That's all you need to know. Right. You know that, yes, he's actually a little nervous about how mm-hmm. this is going to, he, he, he cares how this evening goes. And after, you know, and for many reasons, he cares. And then, yeah, I think you're right. I think he walks out of the room, you put the curtain down, and that's it. Then we come yeah, back yeah, with, yeah. you did it. We join, pick up right where we left off, two, you know, three hours later, whatever it is. Exactly. You save, you save a, a scenery change, you know? You don't, right. need, to, you don't need to put a chandelier you down You don't need that staircase. You don't need the, the, all those tuxedos. You don't need Zoltan Carpathy, <laughs> who isn't going to do his thing. I mean, it's such a funny... The, the reason I, I... This is the song... You Did It is the song I skip. If I'm skipping songs, I'm skipping You Did It. It is very, very long. Like you say, it is a recap of something Uh that happened off off stage. Uh And that whole middle section explaining what Zoltan Karpathy did, I never thought of it this way before, but you were like, if you're not going to show me, you know, don't, the oldest writing, drama writing tip in the world, don't tell, show. This is nothing but tell for a very, very long time. Losing charm from every pore, he oiled his way around the floor. Every trick that he could play, he used to strip her mask away. And when at last the dance was done, he glowed as if he knew he'd won. And with a voice too eager and a smile too broad, he announced to the hostess that she was a fraud. No. Yavo. Her English is too good, he said. That clearly indicates that she is foreign. Whereas others are instructed in their native language, English people aren't. And although she may have studied with an expert dialectician and grammarian, I can tell that she was born Hungarian. Not only Hungarian, but of royal blood. She is a princess. Because importantly, because the most important part of it is the fact that everyone ignores Eliza. Yep. After she's the one who actually did all the work. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and the show knows that, and Shaw knows that, and you know, Lerner mm-hmm. and Lowe know that. Yep. The other people who don't know that, the audience knows that, the other people who don't know that are, are, yeah. are Higgins and Pickering. Right. Uh, I think the maids know that too. I think the maids are like, "What?" what I the think Mrs. Going on Pierce here? knows. Yes, Definitely, right. Yeah. yeah. But we work uh, for this guy, so we're going to say congratulations. Yep. And then, as you say, show me, show me is exactly what you want. It's it's mm-hmm. something starts out very freely, and 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 she's just you know, she think of Julie Andrews as share in Moonstruck. <laughs> Snap out of it. This is all. This yeah. is all that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I love about this is now 
that she's gotten everything she she needs to get from Higgins. She is totally in command of her affect, and she's fluid with it, right? So yeah. she uh, she can be uh, the the pinnacle of it, which is anyone who's ever been in love will tell you that. Mm-hmm. This is like that little uh, the e h before the t h is exact. This is note like it's perfect. And then you know, uh, haven't your arms hungered for mine? Please don't explain. Show me. Yeah. She can go back and forth. It's slip she, in. Yeah. She, she she can do it. She can she straddles London like a colossus. Sing me no song. <laughs> read me no rhyme. Don't waste my time. Show me. Please don't implore, beg or beseech. Don't make a speech. Show me. But never do I ever want to hear another word. There isn't one I haven't heard. Here we are together in what ought to be a dream. Say one more word and I'll scream. Haven't your arms hungered for mine? Please don't explain. Show me. Show me. Don't wait until wrinkles and lines pop out all over my brow. Show Because she needs, she needs to have agency. This this show would be so depressing mm-hmm. if she didn't. And th- everything the the setup is a dramatic power differential, and that is her way. And again, the rage, the resentment, the please, you know, s- stop, stop shoving words at me. <laughs> I've had mm-hmm. enough words. I'm so sick of words. Yeah. Um, that that is important. That is her stake and acclaim. And I love it. Yeah, and I like the I like the song that doesn't happen right before show yeah. starts. When Freddie <laughs> yeah. starts to sing. Speak, and the world is full of singing, and I'm winging higher than the birds. Touch, and my heart begins to crumble. The heavens tumble, darling. Oh, words, words, words! It I'm is so such a great. Brigadoon-esque number mm-hmm. <laughs> that they Absolutely. decided to parody themselves for a minute and then have her just cut it off entirely and it's not even something we're going to talk about anymore. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. just going to have to move on. Let's move it's on. That's, yeah, that's, that's my motto. Move on, Freddie. Move on, right. Keep her... And she does. She pulls him right out of there and that's the end of that. Right? That's she's, the end of, of Freddie. Right. Well, except where does he go, I guess? Because then they go to the flower market again for Wouldn't It Be Loverly Reprise and... Get me to the church on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, our mm-hmm. our big eleven o'clock number. Here. I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask. This is the dictionary definition of eleven o'clock absolutely. number, right? This is it. Oh, this absolutely. Is mm-hmm. This. I mean, the Umpa band, the the I mean, the the Umpa like uh, beer house yep. uh, vibe is is meant to get the people moving, swaying in their seats uh, with sheer delight at this um, <laughs> at this jerk. Well, I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Kick up a rumpus, but don't lose the compass. And get me to the church, get me to the church. Be sure and get me to the church on time. It's a funny character in terms of comedic you know, situation because he's in Doolittle shows up for with a little bit of luck. There's a book scene after that. Then there's a reprise of that song. Then he goes to Higgins and extorts the money politely. And then he's gone. He's Mm -hmm. not even referenced again. And then he pops up in the middle of act two to sing 
the big show-stopping number of the entire show, and then he's gone again. Like that's yep. it. That's the last. He's carried off stage, and that's the last time we see him. And, and the primacy of his, his experience over this woman he's marrying, who do we don't really meet her, or never. do we even she's never see, on stage? Nope. See, wouldn't it just dramatically? Shouldn't it be Mrs. Pierce or something? Shouldn't it be some <laughs> woman in the cast so that like there's there's things tie up? It's not just this random guy showing up randomly going, "Hey, by the way, getting hitched." Well, and it's like, the funny it thing. Make sense of, to be not maybe maybe Higgins' mother, maybe maybe true love conquers all. Oh, that'd be funny. Uh, it it is that thing of the. I mean, because when Lerner adapted the 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 play, most of what he did was simply take the the scenes and mm-hmm. just retype them. Right. But there was a decision made that since the entire play takes place in Higgins' drawing room, unless I'm mistaken. Oh, sure, yeah. The that they have to open up the world. They want to go to Covent Garden. They want to go to the Ascot. They want to do these things, and so he. They decide to take these Doolittle scenes out in the street for a little bit and see him in his element. But they don't really want to create any new characters. He's got his mm-hmm. two buddies with him, but they're pretty much stock Cockney mm-hmm. guys that he can yep. talk to. Mm-hmm. And the bartender has a few lines, but otherwise, it's just Doolittle being. Doolittle and waxing philosophical, and so I, I, I guess you know the impetus would be we don't want to see if we have to show his his wife, we we have to then create the character of his wife and decide what that relationship's like, and decide yeah, yeah, makes yeah. it all kind of real. And I think that the decision is just like, nah, like just best right. leave her unsolved. Right. You know, there are there. there are as Ian e. Forster famously wrote, there are flat characters and there are round characters and. <laughs> And it's okay for this guy to be flat, I guess. It's okay for him to have the the one thing that he do. Yep. And I'm sure you invested him with all kinds of with an inner life, a rich I did, inner I life. I did. Yeah. I did. I did. I did. Yes. Well, and also because with Shaw, so many of his characters are simply representations of social social classes and people. Yeah. Like yeah. the point of Doolittle in in Pygmalion is that he is he is actually as eloquent and as interesting and as philosophical as anybody who speaks posh. He just has a, a bad job and is, is doesn't really care. He just sort uh-huh. of, but he's, he's sort of a you know, streetwise philosopher kind of character. He can be anywhere. Uh-huh. And that's not real. That's his point basically is to give that a little depth. Yep. And it's, it's, that's it. You know, that's all he's so like, it's not like Alan J. Lerner Academy award winning two time Academy award winning screenwriter. Uh, didn't have a lot to work with here. Sure. Uh, so yes, he just—they just decided instead. Nobody will care if we write "Get Me to the Church on Time," and they were right. Nobody mm-hmm. cares. <laughs> yep, absolutely. absolutely. It's a great exit. I'll tell you, Glenn. I've made, yep. I've played some parts of my life getting carried <laughs> off stage while the audience is roariously applauding. It's a great waving your top hat is a tremendous exit. <laughs> I can imagine, and imagine being Peaked a Rex at Harrison. 14. <laughs> imagine being Rex Harrison who has to follow that. Like imagine being anybody mm-hmm. who has to follow that. And with oh, the song, yeah. so what they do is they they trot out the gay panic again, and they do this 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 incel anthem volume two. And but they do it so well. But they really do it a lot uh, so well. It, it's it, this is a a lot of fun, and the tempo is exactly what you need. It's not competing with "Get Me to the Church on Time," but it's up and it's lively, and there's some really good wordplay, and mm-hmm. it it. Uh, it shows his the the cracks in the facade. It shows the desperation that has uh, creeped into him. Why can't a woman be more like a man? Men are so decent, such regular chaps, ready to help you through any mishaps, 
ready to buck you up whenever you are glum. Why can't a woman be a chum? Why is thinking something women never do? Why is logic never even tried? Straightening up their hair is all they ever do. Why don't they straighten up the mess that's inside? Why can't a woman behave like a man? If I was a woman who'd been to a ball, been hailed as a princess by one and by all, would I start weeping like a bathtub overflowing, or carry on as if my home were in a tree? Would I run off and never tell me where I'm going? Why can't a woman be like me? He has no idea how nuts he sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that moment, we all, Mrs. Through Mrs. Pierce, and also us, are just like, "Wow, you have lost it, man!" Uh-huh. And so he is, as you say, lowered his his armor and and brought himself down, totally unaware though of how he sounds and how raw he is. Uh-huh. Which his mother then lovingly, not so lovingly, uh-huh. pokes and needles. And what we really get in another good scene is this: her with the mother with Eliza, is that Eliza is. What lovely to be around that her mother, his mother says, I love her. She's great. She's wonderful. She's she's smart and charming and erudite and good conversationalist. And, you know, the last time I saw her, she was cursing at horses. And now Uh she's just she's so nice. Uh And it's really because she's not pretending. I mean, the trade in in Ascot scene where Eliza messes up is that she's trying to be posh. Right. She's not only using the voice, but she's trying to be posh. Right, right, right. in after him to him, she's just being herself, just speaking, quote unquote, better English. Right. Uh, that is that you need this. You need this song where his status is lowering mm-hmm. and you need without you uh, immediately following it where she is experiencing a moment of triumph and independence. There be. Spring every year without you. England still will be here without you. There'll be fruit on the tree and ashore by the sea. There'll be crumpets and tea without you. Art and music will thrive without you. Somehow Keats will survive without you. And there still will be rain on that plain down in Spain. Even that will remain without you. I can do. Without you is like Helen Reddy, eat your heart out. It's you know sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> it's it's a song that's driving itself off a cliff in a convertible. It, this song mm-hmm. is like fuck you, <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. And it's it, it's I I do not think if those two things didn't happen in concert, um, uh, Higgins being taken down a peg, taking himself mm-hmm. down a peg, yes. Uh, along with um, and, and he'll do it again in uh, Custom to Her Face. Like that's. Right. That's that's the thing. Otherwise, she this her breaking up with him essentially and saying without you, yada yada yada. Yeah, they have a teacher student dynamic, and that needs to end. And mm-hmm. the way you do that is by having her leave, and uh, she removes herself from the equation. So, you know, and and at the same time, he becomes a skosh more vulnerable. You bring them closer to a level playing field. It's not level. Uh, it still sucks, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, but if she just fell into his arms, boy, that would just feel so oh, empty. Be so bad. That's yeah. what gives this thing. I mean, the ending isn't perfect, but the it does have some teeth in it. It does. It it isn't tidy, uh, and it's meant, I think, to 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 send people out of the theater, kind of feeling a little like, 
oh, they're not meant to, you're not meant to go out of this thinking, they're destined for each other. You're meant to think mm-hmm. they have some work to yeah. do. <laughs> this is a thing. This is a thing. And then he, he comes out and breaks his heart. <laughs> he breaks his own heart. <laughs> yeah. And the damn, damn, damn. The damn, 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 damn. And the, the way that that breed of masculinity can only allow itself to admit something so far. It's not love. Right. I've just, <laughs> it's just, ex- it's extended yeah. proximity. That should be the subtext. That's like the, the in parentheses. Extended proximity. Extended proximity. I like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> extended proximity i've grown accustomed to her face colon it could have also been a plant <laughs> yeah that's right i like the Why wallpaper too right <laughs> that's right i'm really fond of this wallpaper right so nice. uh, how long has it been here right <laughs> it's right it, what is it going on yeah and you know but it is that, a beautiful song i mean it, it is really a beautiful is. song and yeah. he uh, even in the london cast recording where he's been doing it for forever he's he lets himself Hit a note for longer than a second. So used to hear her say good morning every day. Her joys, her woes, her highs, her lows are second nature to me now. Like breathing out and breathing in. I'm very grateful she's a woman and so easy to forget. Rather like a habit one can always break. I've grown accustomed to the trace of something in the air, accustomed to her face. He is playing. I, I never thought of it that way, but I think you're right that he is playing in it. It feels more like, in the London recording, a performance. Yeah. Yeah. Then sing the song "I Pray You" the way I wrote it. You yep, know, yep, like yep. it feels a lot more just like this kind of how I do it on Tuesday nights. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, this is sort of the way I do it. And yep. It's like, oh, that's good. I like that. It's you know, yep. we're just doing it for ourselves a yep. little bit more. Let, let me uh, see if I can get uh, rise out of Pickering. <laughs> let me yeah. see if I can do something. Let's see if I can make Julie Andrews crack. Play to his backhand. We'll, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rex Harrison, mm-hmm. you such and so. And then we get our scene, our, our much derided scene, really, mm-hmm. I have to say, and derided with, with cause, yeah, absolutely. I would say. Um, in Pygmalion, he goes home, or he is home, and, and she doesn't come back, and that's the end. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of a downer. Uh-huh. In, um, in this, she does come back, and he says, Eliza, where the devil are my slippers? I maintain that if you sell uh, a custom to her face and... Uh, him to him strong enough to show his breakdown mm-hmm. you earn back some of that ending mm. you earn back a bit of it you don't earn it at all it's not again not a level playing field and it needs to be um but again <laughs> patriarchy you know it's kind of yeah, hard to you... it's kind of hard to uh level the playing field with two songs yeah yeah but, you know ingrained ingrained it's almost ingrained. like the patriarchy is Built into the very system that created the show in the first place, or something. The I don't know. Devil, you say? Off the. De- <laughs> <laughs> Had this terribly frappy idea. We should be treating women equally. What do you think about that, Pedro? Right. Frightfully bizarre fellow. Threw him out immediately. <laughs> Lit him on fire, don't you know? Uh, <laughs> so, it, do you? What What do you think about this? Show? I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but sort of in the in the more specificity of of recommendation to 
younger people or to people in, in general, do you recommend this show as something people should absorb? Or do you think it is more, it was good for me, then it's got merits to it, but, you know, largely it can kind of drift away? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it. I love this recording uh, because it is a time capsule. Um, uh, do I need to go to Broadway to see that revival that they did recently? No, I, I, I mm. don't. Um, because I would be spending my entire time doing, you know, three, fourth level calculus trying to figure out what they're going to do to account for X, Y, and Z. And, like, I don't want to, that's not fun for me. <laughs> it's like, let it be uh, a, a classic you know, mm-hmm. with all that, with all that that name implies, which means it's of its time. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. There's a lot more exciting things going on <laughs> right now that I'd rather, I'd rather have something speak to the moment than speak to 1961. You know. Sure, I got you. So, how do you, Glenn, as someone who absorbs a lot of media professionally, mm-hmm. and then has to expound upon that media? How do you find joy <laughs> in the media you have to absorb? Uh, well, I mean, you know, it helped that for 16 years I was in a job I hated that had nothing to do with media. It was basically just being a PR flack. And mm. once I got, came over to NPR full-time, it took a long time for that to happen, yes, something that uh, my colleagues and I talk about a lot on the show is that our, we are never not... Whatever media we're consuming, it's at least twenty percent work. Which means when we're on our on our um, downtime, we are still consuming media that we are going to maybe talk about on the show, not necessarily altogether, but like to rec- make a recommendation. And mm-hmm. it is it is even when I'm a hundred, even when I'm eighty percent at work, I'm twenty percent having fun because I'm watching or listening or reading something. And even when I'm you know only twenty percent. Uh, at work, it's it's still in the back of your head that you, you know you have all this stuff to expound upon. I will say that uh, I did a cultural history of Superman. I also did a cultural history of Batman. That book, The Caped Crusade, was more uh, a, a analysis. The Superman book was basically like a whistle stop tour of mm. chronology. Here's what happened, then this what happened. But I I got to do to play around a little bit more and kind of pull some threads and and find commonalities and come up with theories about the appeal of these characters in the second book, in the Batman book. And that was awesome. It was also exhausting. And mm-hmm. uh, that was two years of research. And again, research, reading comic books, reading interviews with comics creators. Like that's, right. it's, it's, I'm not in a, you know, Victorian workhouse, um, but, <laughs> but. Or selling flowers at Covent Garden. But since finishing that book, it's been tough to kind of just pick up comics. Like a thing that was part of my life for mm, just pretty much my entire life uh, is just not a thing that I can uh, do right now because it was such a deep dive. Now I'm, you know, um, it's still possible for me to find shows and movies that completely delight me um, when, and it has to do with something you mentioned, Patrick. It has to do with when they do not co- uh, adhere to a formula that I've seen before a million times, mm-hmm. or when they just execute in ways that feels safe. And in the case of major studio films, that they feel um, you know studio-driven, notes-driven. Um, when something is an individual uh, creator's vision, it, it just feels. It, it tends to. It tends to. F- feel like you haven't seen it before. I, 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 I left the lighthouse 
the uh, the, the mm-hmm. film with such rapt delight in a way that I hadn't experienced in a long time because this was like this was batshit crazy and uh, and yet it was this depiction of utter misery and stunted masculinity and it was just so beautiful and haunting and funny as hell so discoveries like that can still happen but they do tend to have to kind of play to my back end if it's just you know uh, somebody doing the same thing I've seen done before it does it it's it's harder to find something. It's not impossible, but that's the job. The job is to find something to latch on to, to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And and at NPR, especially on the show, what we are trying not to do with this wealth of content out there is to dump on new creators, fledgling creators, people who are just starting out. What we are trying to do is help people curate their time, which means there's a lot behind this. It's it's interesting. It's chewy. It's uh, it's challenging or it's just fun, this, we think, is worth checking out. And when we don't mention something, it's either because we've all kind of checked it out and said there's not much to talk about here because it's something you've seen done 16 million times before. So, like, it's the fact that it's, you know, she's got a new hat. You know, that's not, right. uh, that's not, that's not a thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a challenge, but I mean, it's. It, I am so grateful for this job. This is uh, this is a dream job. I understand that it has been my dream job, and uh, now mm. I got it. And it's 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 very precious to me, but um, not without its challenges. But it's a very unique set of challenges. This is so wonderful. So you you can be found all over the internet uh, talking about various things, from the prisoner to pop culture happy hour. Uh, yeah, the, the drink absolute, absolutely, and uh, and pop culture happy hour. Coming out with a book in June, uh, June 29th, which is basically, it's an NPR guide to podcasting. So it's basically, I uh-huh. went around and interviewed a hell of a lot of NPR podcasters, uh, got some of their best practices, got some of the things they think about before hitting record, and uh, used a lot of the stuff about, you know, audio storytelling and uh building soundscapes, et cetera. And also just, you know, basic uh, interview techniques and uh, sort of things to think about in terms of ethics. But uh, And a lot of technical stuff in there, but basically it is uh, a lot of advice from uh, folks who've been doing it um, for 10 years now plus. And, yeah, that's called uh, NPR's Startup Podcasting Guide, and that's coming out June 29th. Oh, that's great. And what uh, I do have to ask, because I, I, I almost I nearly forgot, um, what is your favorite song in My Fair Lady? Huh. I mean, right now it's uh, Ascot Gavat, but uh, the one I kind of keep going back to, I guess, is I mean, well, I can't the English can't beat it, can't beat it, great, great, can't beat it, yeah, great opening, it's great, great opening song. It is it, really, really great. Yeah, it places you exactly where you need to be placed, and it has no, there's nothing wishy-washy about it. It is you can't it, beat a list song. List songs are just the best. Absolutely, I've, I've and it's that. yeah, it's so confident and knows exactly what it's doing, and it uh, takes you on a journey. I love that yes, journey. It does. It absolutely does. This is so great, Glenn. Thank you so much for doing this. Patrick, this was a delight. Thank you so much for having me. Look at her, a prisoner of the gutters, condemned by every syllable she utters. By right, she should be taken out and hung for the cold-blooded murder of the English tongue. Heavens, what a sound. This is what the British population calls an elementary education. Oh, come, sir, I think you picked a poor example. Did I? 
Hear them down in Soho Square Dropping H's everywhere Speaking English any way they like Hey, you, sir, did you go to school? What are you calling me for, sir? Well, no one taught him take instead of tyke Hear a Yorkshireman, or worse Hear a Cornishman converse I'd rather hear a choir singing flat Chickens cackling in a barn Just like this one I ask you, sir, what sort of word is that? The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at UnknownPenguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Glenn Weldon for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Why can't the English teach their children how to speak? Norwegians learn Norwegian, the Greeks are taught their Greek. In France, every Frenchman knows his language made a Z. But the French don't care what they do, actually, as long as they pronounce it properly. Arabians learn Arabian with the speed of summer lightning, and the Hebrews learn it backwards, which is absolutely frightening. But use proper English, you're regarded as a freak. Oh, why can't the English... Why can't the English learn to speak? <laughs> <laughs>